1: to you from Tucson, Arizona. I'm sitting in the parking lot of a Trader Joe's. I'm recording this in the van, then I'm going to go into a cafe, upload it to my computer, throw it together in my Hindenburg podcast software, and upload it, and uh, you'll be hearing this, uh, some of you, within a few minutes. Amazing! The modern world. This episode is one of those that fell from the sky. Um the guy's name is Justin and I can't remember how to pronounce his last name but we'll get right into it. And uh if you're looking at the uh the landing page, you see his picture and his name. He's outlaw yogi on Instagram. He's uh interesting cat, very interesting cat as you'll hear. The way it came together was uh, we were up at Crestone visiting a buddy of ours, also named Justin, and we decided to go to the hot springs at Joyful Journeys. By the way, if you ever go through the San Luis Valley, check out Joyful Journeys. It's pretty cool. Um, Natural hot springs. So we went there and we got into one of the pools. There was a dude sitting there and uh, started chatting with him covered with tats, ponytail, interesting looking guy. And uh, and he was very chill, very cool guy. And uh, so he said, hey, why don't you come over for dinner a couple days? And uh, he did. And uh, turned out the guy's really got a lot going on. Holy shit. Um, and I also appreciated the fact that he didn't, lay any of that out in the hot tub. In the hot... Not hot tub, the the hot springs. In the hot springs, we were just talking about this and that and traveling and his van and his grandma, who he... uh, He uh, decked out the van with his grandma. But he didn't say... (laughs) He didn't advertise himself. He just uh, was sort of chatting. And uh, it was only... At dinner, when we'd had some wine, that he started telling some stories. And holy shit, wow. So, we agreed to do a podcast, and uh, so that I could share some of those stories. We could share some of those stories with you guys. This one starts off uh, at hemorrhoids, and it just takes off from there. So, it's probably not an episode for the squeamish or the faint of heart, but I don't really think. Anyone listening to this podcast is squeamish or the least bit faint of heart. Latest news from me. Uh, Just booked a flight to Thailand. Kind of a hassle, for sure. Uh, Lots of hoops to jump through. But I think that uh, we're talking about going to Asia anyway, as I mentioned in the last episode. And... now there's this new variant racing around the world and i think a good place to be is a tropical island where everything is done outside ventilation is everywhere and um thai food is the standard to me that's where i want to be and if i get stuck there so be it So that's where we're headed. We're going to go to Thailand uh, in a week or so, and then we will play it by ear from there. But uh, that's the plan at the moment. Who knows? Maybe all international travel will be shut down in the next 48 hours. Who the fuck knows? What a crazy, tumultuous time it is. Thank you for listening to this episode. As always, And thank you for supporting the podcast, however you do it. Just a reminder, if you buy stuff on Amazon, a great way to support this podcast at no extra cost to you is to use my Amazon affiliate link that you'll find on my website, thatchrisryan.com. And uh, yeah, just bookmark it and use that every time you go to Amazon and a couple percent of whatever you spend kicks back to support the podcast. Um, Thank you for that. And uh, any other ways that you support the podcast, whether it's leaving reviews on iTunes or your podcast app or uh, joining the tribe officially financially by signing up, subscribing at my website. Uh, You get free copies of the eBooks if you want them. There are three of them at this point. Uh, One talking about sex, one talking about drugs and one just talking about uh, whatever the fuck we came up with. Uh, called Tangentially Reading, and uh, you get those for free if you're a member. And uh, also semi-monthly video romas, where if people ask questions, I answer them in a video roma, or at least entertain them and discuss them. And uh, those are fun to do. Uh, We didn't get any questions, I think, in uh, one month, so we skipped it. But I saw a few more came in recently, so I'll be doing one of those shortly. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for your attention and your time and your love. Sending it all right back at you. Uh, I'll be in touch soon, maybe from Thailand. Bye. I'm in the cafe now. I'm going to play you out. No, I'm going to play you in with a song called Desert Land by Elena B. Williams, because I've been walking in these desert lands of Utah, New Mexico, and Arizona these last few weeks, and it's been fucking awesome. And then at the end of the podcast, I'm going to play you out with one of Carcy Blanton's new songs. We're going to skip smoke alarm this time, and we're going to play Party at the End of the World, because that's the party we're at, folks. Get on down.
0: Oh,
2: I've been walking in the desert land. I've been walking in the desert sand. I've been walking with the spirit, so oh, yes I, yes I High. I've been walking high, i walking long, I've been walking in- Yes, I am. Yes, I.
1: Live. All I know about this guy, for sure, is his name's Justin. I don't even know that for sure. Although, you did give me a book, and your name was on the book. So, I guess that would be an elaborate long It would play. be an
3: elaborate ruse. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, uh, we met in a hot tub. No, in a hot springs. Hot springs. Two days ago. This is my favorite thing in the podcast, to just meet people randomly and, like, find these, uh, you know, diamonds in the rough. Is that... Is that the way to describe you?
3: That's a very kind way to describe me. Thank you. Very, (laughs) very very rough rough diamond. (laughs) Unfaceted. (laughs) Very faceted. Opaque. Uh, Less brilliant than you you, find in a store.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, welcome, Justin. I don't know how to pronounce your last name. Kaliszewski. Kaliszewski. All right. Uh, Former uh, Mr. Colorado uh, basketball Champ, I found out. So this is a funny podcast because it's the morning after podcast. We thought we were going (laughs) to do this yesterday. We had this. We're meeting for dinner and drinks last night, and we're like, okay. I said, let's let's get together before dinner and do a podcast. And you in your head agreed to it, and then but we got the timing mixed up. So you showed up, and we're already into the wine and the weed, and. And it was too late. So now I do know something about you. Uh, so that, that'll work to our advantage, I think. I know, for example, that you recently had hemorrhoids. You wanted to talk about that?
3: In true tangential fashion, Yeah, we're going to have the podcast the next day. Yeah. And um, right before we hit record, I had to go in and wipe my ass one more time. One more time. Well, because have you had hemorrhoids? I don't think so. That's good. You, well, you would know. It'd either be painful or bloody or both. Yeah. Um, And I recently, I've had this gnarly hemorrhoid for at least 10 years. 10 years? Once a week, I'll bleed while I poop. And it's, when you put even a drop of water or drop of blood in the water, it spreads out. It looks like a massacre. Tracks sharks, too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Yeah, it's bad news. Ass sharks. Yeah, Yeah. ass sharks. And for, for 10 years, I've had this hemorrhoid. Three of them, I guess, it turns out. I finally went and got it checked out. I didn't have insurance for a long time, so yeah. I waited. And I went and got it checked out. And that's an embarrassing doctor situation. Okay, it's especially embarrassing when the Turkish, heavily accented Turkish man walks in, and he's got a, a young 20s blonde medical student with him. Oh. And he says, you don't mind, I have the student with me. Oh, oh yeah. I'm like, fuck it. Let's, <laughs> why not? Let's do this. And for a penny, and for a pound. and for a pound. Yeah. And... You can't just go in and do one procedure. You have to have a procedure per hemorrhoid. Uh, And so I had a check-in appointment. We did a colonoscopy just to be safe because he said the amount of blood I was seeing in my stool. Could have been some kind of cancer. Any number of things. So the colonoscopy comes out clean as a whistle. And then they schedule the hemorrhoid banding. And they take a little rubber band And they occlude the tissue so that it becomes necrotic and it drops off on its own. You can
1: do that with moles, too. I've done that with moles on my skin.
3: Just yourself? Yeah. Oh, shit.
1: Yeah, I looked it up uh, online when I was a kid, actually. I had a mole on my neck that bothered me. It was kind of like protruded a bit. And no, I couldn't have been online because there was no online when I was a kid. Anyway, I found somewhere some some medical source of information said that's what doctors did. They would just cut off the blood to it and it fell and it so off. So I took some uh, dental floss and I looped it and put it over the mole and <laughs> pulled it tight. And I walked around for a few days with a dental floss knot on my neck, and then it
3: fell off. When we're done with this, I got two more hemorrhoids I want you to look at. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not that kind of dumb. <laughs> But they can only do one at a time. Uh, They can't just... I thought Uh. we'd go in, we'd clear out the hemorrhoids. No, you got to do one appointment. And it's not just an office visit. You got to gown up. They take you in a procedure room. They put a rubber band around your head. And you should see the grimace on Christopher Ryan's face right now. (laughs) yeah yeah we had a few stories last night i
1: i whipped out my uh my kidney stone story kidney stone yeah i don't think i've told that on the podcast we're gonna save that that'll save be a that special one. episode a special
3: edition <laughs>
1: <laughs> so so for people who are listening to this going what the fuck just tuning in i don't want to listen to this guy's ass story for an hour not all at no hour, no yeah. we'll move on to other other scintillating material
3: but anyways, I try yeah. to take it easy when I wipe, right. and sometimes it leaves a little residue.
1: Wet wipes are where it's at. Yeah. yeah. Got to yeah. go with the wet wipes. Uh, I had a, a funny experience with a um, urologist, because I had a, you know, I, I'm sick, almost 60, and so I was, this was like a few years ago, so I was well into my 50s, and it's like, fuck, you know, they always say you got to get your prostate tested, and... And uh, so like, all right, fuck it. And I went into L.A. and, and uh, to have my prostate exam. And I go into the office and the guy comes in and he says, uh, Chris Ryan. I said, yeah. He said, um, I hope you don't mind. I scheduled you for a double appointment. So we're, we're here for 40 minutes rather than 20. And I was like, oh, because they'd done tests. And he had the tests, and I was like, uh, like blood tests and shit. I was like, oh fuck, Uh-oh. what's going on here? And I said, is there a problem? He said, no, no. I've, it's just I, I read Sex of Donna and I wanted to chat with you about it. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh great. So we're buddies, All right? And so I'm sitting there on the exam table. And he's in his chair and we're talking and talking and it's fascinating. We're talking about his work and he's a, he does brisses and he's super, he does all this like, you know, dick stuff. And I'm trying to get him to be on the podcast. Cause like, you know, why not? Awesome. But he doesn't want to, cause he's afraid he'll get in trouble with his employer. Anyway, we're having this great conversation. And after, you know, 20, 25 minutes, he says, uh, by the way, um, You know, I know you're being particularly uh, interesting to delay the moment when I put my finger up your ass. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I was like, you, you're right. You're right. I'm just trying to talk my way out of this. Have we not run out of time yet, Doctor? <laughs> yeah. I, but wait, i got another story for you. <laughs>
3: easiest way to control the room.
1: Oh, walk dude. in, start talking, and don't stop. I was talking, I was talking for my life. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so let's move on from the butt stuff.
3: Let's move on from uh, the butt stuff.
1: So we meet the other day in the
3: Joyful Journeys. It's, you were in the midst of a joyful journey. It's not every day you meet a man... In naked, semi naked. Semi naked yeah. in the hot springs. Yeah. Hit it off. Yeah. And it doesn't go super weird. Right. Right? And it yeah. goes normal and we we're end up So far. We'll So see. far. So far. So far so. Some people listening to this would say it's already gone
1: it's weird, already guys. Weird. You just don't notice. <laughs> we notice. <laughs> because you're weird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we like. Weird is normal to us. Weird is good. Yeah. Uh normal is a cult. Normal is weird. Yeah. Normal's fucking weird as shit. Yeah. But yeah people don't notice that but the people listen to this podcast are weird yeah so we're in good oh, company good. here i good. mean otherwise they would have been oh. gone a long thanks time thanks for ago. listening
3: you weirdos fucking weirdos we'll close with butt stuff too you love yeah. it. stick around <laughs> stick around <laughs> yeah what's that got a callback we'll Bookended. well yeah we'll bring, stuff.
1: bringing it back around yeah uh all right so your checkered past how old are you 40, 41 41 41 and you've lived so many fucking lives based on what i heard you talking about last night you were
3: serious athlete in basketball serious all-american basketball player i All forget American. about that 48 inch vertical leap one dunk contest and the you're what Five-five-nine. Five59.: well when i am talk about dunking i'm five nine Ah. If I talk about just being normal, I'm six foot.
1: Oh, okay. Because you just have six foot energy. Yeah, yeah.
3: B B
1: B energy. B B E. Big yeah, body energy. Big body energy. Uh, so you're you've got this
3: whole basketball thing going on, uh, but you are getting in fights a lot. And I and you know I, I was getting in fights on the court, and that got me into fighting. I became a cage fighter for several years. Um, worked overseas and the development sector for the better part of 10 years, mostly in conflict zones, uh, Kathmandu, Nepal, and uh, mm. and East Timor during their conflicts.
1: So let's go through these
3: more or less chronologically. So yeah. you, you grew up in Colorado? I was born in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Okay. The day a tornado ripped through downtown, I was born. Uh-huh. And then, uh, you know. That was my, the beginning. That, that was, was the omen. Here right. comes this guy. Right. Maybe. We have a friend
1: named Autumn Storm. Mm-hmm. That's her real name. That's a neat name. It's a great name, isn't it? She's not a porn star. She shouldn't. I don't want to say she should be <laughs> with that name, a name like that. What she's, you into porn? She'd go well, gangbusters. I, I was born for it. <laughs> she'll she'll come up with a fake name, you know, you like know, Mary right?
3: Jane or some shit. See, and I think that's why my mom didn't. She wanted to name me Slade. and my dad's name is Sawyer, so I'd have been Slade Sawyer, right? But what kind of fucking rascal would I have been if I was named? I'm named Justin, and I'm a. Yeah. A rascal. But Slade Sawyer, you're in a you're born into a biker gang. Yeah. With a name Yeah, like you that. get an honorary membership. You get a pass. just skip the initiation. You're born with the tattoos. Right.
1: Everything. Cigarette in your mouth. A little.
3: So she named me Justin instead. It's a dangerous birthing yeah, yeah. procedure. Uh, <laughs> all right. So you're named Justin. Trees are falling down the day you're born. Born in Kalamazoo to, uh, you know, born of a, of a makeup sex, my father told me. Mm. And sometimes it's distasteful for your dad to talk to you about sexual relationship with your mother. But yeah. he told me I was, I was makeup sex. They got divorced three to six months later. She was very young, 21. She took up with a rock and roller, Ken Kalaszewski. And against a court order, they moved to Orange County, California. Against the court order. My dad was a drug dealer at the time. And they knew that because he wasn't paying child support, if they took me, he wasn't going go to go to the authorities. Yeah, yeah, right. And so they moved me uh, to, to Orange County. I ended up growing up in a Vietnamese gang instead of a <laughs> Kalamazoo biker gang. Instead of a redneck <laughs> white supremacist. Uh, do you have siblings? I have three half-siblings. So we lived in Orange County for maybe 13 years, and then we moved— Right as I was really getting into trouble, we moved to Colorado. Is that why you moved? Ostensibly. How old were you then? 13. It was like the end of sixth grade, beginning of seventh grade. And what kind of trouble were you getting into? Gangs. Really? Actual street gang? Yeah. Yeah, we had a gang at, at school, and they brought, Jesus, I'll never forget. They brought the LAPD head of the gang squad in. Guy was six eight. Must he could have been eight feet tall, right? Three hundred pound, dark as night, black guy, and he lined our whole gang up. And our gang's leader was Chris Valdez, It's like sixteen year old kid in sixth grade, right? He's been held back three four times. He'd bring, he'd steal Game Boys. He'd bring a bag of Game Boys, and you trade him your GI Joes. You know, this is our little, our little world. Mm-hmm. And this guy lines us all up and gets in our face, real drill sergeant style. And he's like, you think you're in a fucking gang? Wait till you get here and then here and then they, what they ask you to do. And I was like, you're right. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not in a fucking gang. I'm not for this life. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and shortly thereafter, my parents moved us to, to Colorado. My little brother, my half brother was born, uh, Ten years after me, so we have ten years separating us, and he was very young. And they thought, "Hey, let's move to Colorado for a fresh start." We were also one of the only families in Southern California in the '80s that didn't buy a home, so we kind of missed out on prices on, on that. Yeah. And so we moved to Colorado, and I remember they bought their first home for ninety thousand dollars, I think. Yeah. And so it was kind of a new start for the whole the whole family. I went to junior high high school here, and then I played Division One basketball at Southern Utah And last University. night, you,
1: you said you were real clean cut at some point,
3: but then there was also a <laughs> ponytail incident. When, where was the clean cut? part well you know coming from california i had this bleached bleached from the sun blonde hair you know it was down to my shoulders let's say and were we, you a surfer
1: was that you in
3: That i'd never surfed but I'd, I'd bodyboarded and stuff like that mm-hmm. my mom i think so she didn't have to watch me too close at the beach instilled in me a terror of the ocean oh nice. so i never got to surf uh, maybe to the see surf. jaws a few times something yeah. you know undertow the undertow is legendary in her stories yeah. you put your foot in the water without They'll supervision suck you in. You're, yeah it you're a goner pulls in a thousand kids a day you know kind of stories. i
1: grew up terrified of quicksand i'm still terrified of quicksand never seen it in real life but man as a kid it was everywhere
3: quicksand parasites uh kidney stones
1: oh the, the, i got a few bugaboos
3: that those will get i don't want you. to fuck with yeah. yeah
1: yeah uh all right so you moved to colorado so you, you were telling me the
3: when when you were clean cut we moved to Colorado, and our insurance agent, Dan Purcell, coached a basketball team, mostly because his son played, Aaron. Right. And they're like, hey, we need this kid to be active. you know." And so they put me on the basketball team. I never played. I just kind of took to it. you know. Um, fast forward a year, and I'm going into to ninth grade. And I walked in to try out, and the JV coach walks in and goes, hey, ponytails. Kid's gotta go, cut him Merle Wickland, never forget, right, and Merle cuts me, but you know it kind of tell you you can't do something you push back so
1: were you already good at this point you'd only been
3: playing for a year very athletic right so you just had the raw skills i've always been very kinesthetically gifted so if you teach me something whether it's uh dancing or jujitsu or basketball if you teach me something one time i can lock away the technique i can practice it a thousand times i can teach it right you know very just a gift right um that is a gift so at this point i have a lot of hustle i have a lot of natural ability in you know at, at the freshman level 5'9 is almost a power forward, mm. right? So I have good oh, you're size. Oh, you are already 5'9. Yeah, I uh, kind of shot up to there by sixth grade and then stopped growing. Right. You know, my feet were huge. And we oh. thought I was going to be 6'5, some shit. I thought I'd be in the NBA. You know, uh, stuff. kind of took it for granted that right. I would play pro ball and, and that would be it. Right. I quit playing baseball at that time to focus on basketball, which I kind of kicked myself. Because even though I didn't love the sport, I probably would have played pro baseball. Mm. But, you know yeah yeah you can't mean how tall are your parents about about my height right 10
1: yeah and if your dad was like 6'6 then you right you have a better bet on that yeah 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 so
3: you uh you cut off the ponytail so you could play basketball cut the hair came back made the team the next year three years later i'm mr colorado basketball player of the year
1: player of the year so that's a all-state thing you were i was all like the most valuable player in the state yeah wow yeah nine news and that's bad that's high school basketball gave me a paperweight and paperweight wow (laughs) good for you man
3: (laughs) for all my papers
1: i only have one trophy and people listening to this are like oh shit he's going to tell this story again uh the only trophy i have is for uh it's an AVN award it's the oscar of porn no yeah yeah, it's crazy, and it's a nice trophy too. It's a big gold, tall and looking thing. Long. It's a it's a, it's a man and a woman naked embracing. It's beautiful. It's actually a beautiful sculpture. Um, but I won that. I was in a in a porn movie as myself, and uh, it was sort of built into the plot that the the one of the characters is a documentary filmmaker, and she interviews people who've written books about sex. So she interviews me. I play myself. And then she and I have this conversation in the kitchen because she's going through relationship issues and all this. And uh, yeah, I won the fucking AVN. And then you have sex with her? No, I never had sex with no. her.
3: Uh, because we're camera. in the kitchen right now. And I yeah. thought maybe you're segueing us no. into where this podcast goes. That would <laughs> be
1: awkward. <laughs> never done that on the podcast. Uh, but uh, I won my category was best non-sex performance. No way. Like... Winning a porn award for best non-sex performance. It's like the slowest guy in the race who made it somehow over the finish line. It's, it's some sort of a loser winner situation. It's,
3: it's like the sportsmanship trophy of porn. <laughs> exactly. Good sportsmanship. You didn't get to come, but you showed up. Yeah. And you, you played you your You read part. your lines. Well and done. Yeah. Good enough. That's right? neat. Yeah. Do you keep that in the van?
1: No, uh it's in storage right now. Uh, we did when when we rented a house, we had it, you know, on the altar. Yeah, it's a it's a sacred object. Anyway, enough about me. Let's talk about what do you think about me? Uh,
3: enough about porn.
1: um So you're all Mister Colorado. You're mm-hmm. still Mister Colorado, well, as far thank as I'm you. concerned. That's very kind. Yeah, <laughs>
3: yeah. Uh, and uh, you went to college? You know, I wouldn't have went to college if it wasn't for athletics. Right. And, you know, thankfully I did and had a had a nice experience and my four-year degree was free because of that. But, you know. Where'd you go? Well, I, was, I went to Southern Utah University first. Mm. I had these epic high school coaches, just great human beings. Right. And so I was under the misconception that Coach, uh, coaches across the board were great people right and at the college level they're great salesmen huh and so i go to southern utah university i did not enjoy the experience high level division one at one point i was oh, division one yeah oh at one point i was top five in the country in three-point field goal percentage um, we played at the great alaska shootout like we had a pretty big year for for right. a mid-major school but I wasn't happy going from averaging twenty five points a game to I only started half the games as a freshman. Hmm. You know, you're fucking eighteen. You don't know what right. you're thinking. And so I transferred to the School of Mines. Oh right, school of Mines, school of Mines. School of Mines gave me the biggest athletic scholarship in the history of their school, huh? To get me to come there right tiny school tiny gym I thought man if I just go play at a tiny school I'm going to get the same kind of personal attention Mm. so to speak that I got from in high school right come to find out the RMAC Rocky Mountain Athletic Conference they have a requirement that coaches have to have psychology degrees and if you know anyone with a psychology degree I do you know they're fucked up yeah that's me yeah right. Yeah. You go to figure you out got your own shit. doctorate. That's right? all fucked up, I am. <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> so coach would fuck with us. He'd call five a.m. practice just to see who would show up. What? And then go come back at four and walk out. He'd be like, what the fuck? Oh, that's bullshit, man. Complete bullshit. Yeah. And so I transferred again. I transferred to the University of Northern Colorado. You know, come to find out that coach, Craig Rasmussen. He, he got a karmic, uh, what is it where you have to shit in a bag? Oh, colostomy bag. He had a colostomy bag years later. This yeah. guy was a piece of work. Yeah. He was a used car salesman before he got the job as head basketball coach at the University of Northern Colorado. And so that went the way it went. And by by the time I get done with this college athletic experience, I'm just a pissed off young man. Right. And also you're
1: not growing the way you were expecting. right? You were thinking you'd be 6'2 by the time you
3: got out of college. Or growing mentally the way you you would hope. Right. You know, because I was very talented. So, I mean, you know, I don't want to point the finger at the School of Mines, but I got a, a grade in organic chemistry that I did not earn. Right you know right because they wanted to keep you on the team keep you eligible yeah so i loved english i loved poli sci loved to read and write i squeaked out a an english degree right and at that point i'm just kind of tired of life buddy of mine had moved to taipei he goes i come out here so I went back in the day to a travel agent. I wrote a paper check for a one-way ticket to Taipei. Right. I took a night class at Arapahoe Community College in Chinese, five sessions on Thursday night, uh-huh. show up, figured I'm going to eat Taipei for breakfast. <laughs> I'm halfway fluent. <laughs> I can still order eight dumplings. Oh, nice. That's what you need. But wo yao ba bao zi. <laughs> This is important. But again. if they tell me how much it is, I'm just going to give them my biggest bill and yeah. hope for the change to or come. Or ask you like what you want in them: <laughs> duck dumplings or chicken dumplings. I got yeah. so uh, culture shocked. The first night there, I was uh, my body was sick, and by the time I can get out of bed, I drag my ass down and we get some really good duck at this place by my buddy's apartment, and we're sitting there and I'm just trying to eat this duck with chopsticks. And this wonderful Taiwanese lady brings me a spoon. Here you go. Uh, I'm like, oh, thank you. (laughs) You're an angel. (laughs) And I stayed in Taiwan for a couple months. I taught English as a second language Mm -hmm. after school to kindergarten through eighth grade. Yeah. Holy shit. I've done that what a terrifying experience room full of kids kindergarten it's like swimming with piranha or something staring right into your soul yeah (laughs) and you can only say hi how are you good how are you so many times in an hour before you're like "Well, what the fuck do we do now yeah
1: yeah it's definitely uh it's like being on stage for sure you got to entertain them and you got to maintain this kind of mental space where the i mean i don't know what Taiwanese kids are like but spanish kids if they're not a little scared of you they're going to stage a rebellion and then you're in big trouble yeah so there's got to be like some father energy like you do not fuck with me because you don't want to know what's going to happen which is nothing of course but (laughs) you know there's a (laughs) big going on i'm a big man and i could get angry and dangerous so yeah yeah.
3: Well, instead, I quit.
1: Yeah, yeah I did too, eventually. <laughs> I'm not good at being a big angry man.
3: I met a French woman on CoPP Island. CoPP, been there. Yeah. Who says, Justin, you simply must go Justine. to Nepal. Oh, nice. And when someone looks in your eyes and says, Justin, you yeah. just say yes yeah. after that. And so I ended up in Nepal. And come to find out, years later, the volunteer racket where you charge a volunteer for a homestay is mm-hmm. really just about collecting money. Well, I right. lucked out and I have the most beautiful Nepali family still to this day. Oh, beautiful! They call me Jagat, uh, Earth. Yeah, right. Nice. And I and I is taught that in it,
1: Kathmandu or. Pokhara?
3: Yep, yep. Oh. There, uh, if you know Kathmandu, they're near May Temple, mm-hmm. which That's the Monkey Temple. Uh Maypi, No Swainbu is the Monkey uh. Temple. So Swainbu is up here on the hill, and you come down, and then the Vishnu Mahdi River is right there. Mm. If you cross the river and follow the dirt path, you get to my family's house about mm. four miles mm. away. Nice. Yeah. Well, I hope to be in Nepal in a few months. What's that? I hope to be in Nepal
1: in a few months. What for? Uh, just to, to go back there uh, you know, in March, do some trekking, Annapurna. Sanctuary, Cool. I was there 30 years ago or more.
3: Did uh, you do that trek?
1: I didn't. Uh, I intended to, but I cut my foot really badly the first night in Kathmandu. I went up on the roof of the guest house to watch the sunset, and I stepped on something, some sure. shard or something, and cut the, the, the ball of my foot, you know, like mm-hmm. in here, the meat, really deep. And... I went to a doctor and he sewed it up, and uh, he said, "No trekking for you. You get an infection, you know, you'll you'll lose your foot." Yeah, yeah. So I spent, I ended up spending probably two months in Nepal in in Pokhara, and that's where I met Captain Dan and Shaku, I told you about last night, Um, and I did an episode about them on this podcast, so people can go back and listen to that in the archives if you want. But uh, yeah, I ended up just hanging in, in Pokhara for you know another six weeks or so. Worse
3: places to hang than Pokhara, especially
1: in nineteen eighty seven, sure. eight, somewhere in there. Um, yeah, it was it was beautiful. Go out on the lake, and yeah, I, I have some really great memories. I learned to juggle there.
3: First time I ever had strawberry rhubarb pie mm. was in Pokhara. Yeah. And I asked what was for dessert, and the guy said strawberry rhubarb pie, sir. And I said, "Is it is it good?" Oh, it's very nice, very, <laughs> it's very, very nice. nice. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah I'll try and it out. is. Yeah, I
1: remember really good food in Nepal. Yeah. Uh, a lot of German, like schnitzel and hmm. all that shit, which I guess is because there's this history of Germanic people going there to climb the mountains. Huh. The their early mountaineers were a lot of Germans. Okay, and uh, and British. So there's also like tea time and, you know, all that influence from India, of course. But yeah, and isn't there like a pie alley in Kathmandu where like all these different pie shops? I'm not aware of a pie alley, but it's making me want to go back and lunch. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Anyway, so you're in Nepal. You're you're volunteering. You get a degree in English. I have a
3: degree in English and I'm volunteering at this mud wall school. And they tell me. After a month or so of teaching English again, that they're going to have to close the school because their budget is going away. Yeah, and I say, okay, what's you know, what's your budget? Oh, it's a lot, sir. It's too much, too much. And I finally get the number out, and it's like twenty three hundred dollars. I go, well, I'm I'm pretty sure I can come up with that. That's so, for a year. Yeah, yeah. And so I fly back to the states. I form a 501c3 nonprofit called EDUCATE, E D G E. Education, (laughs) taking education to the edge. It's clever, right? Um, Educate, educate. nice. I like that. And I go, I had a friend who is a principal at an elementary school. I dated her daughter in high school. Yeah, we're still friends. And I went to her school and I said, hey, how about we get these kids involved? partnered in a way with their counterparts in nepal right we raised a little money and we fund the school for a year that's great she goes that's a great idea i love it we did an assembly and everything <clears throat> and we raised enough money to move them out of this mud wall school into this beautiful new building with a playground and all this and that and we expanded to include two additional grades we expanded to include lunch and things like that <clears throat> and at this point It's like, well, maybe there's something there. Let's look, what other projects can we do? Um, And so I started looking at a project in Indonesia. And at the time, I started going to grad school at the University of Denver. And that's where a professor of mine, Peter Van Arsdale, who is an Olympic caliber speed walker, well, sport he talked ever. just like this. Oh, oh, like he walked, Justin. <laughs> I think there may be some projects for our students out in East Timor. Nice. And I had remembered East Timor from hot spots in the world back in. By the, the day. way, I just want to
1: interject here: speed walking is like winning the porn award for best non-sex
3: performance. It's very similar. Yeah, trophy smaller. <laughs> 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 they give you a certificate for speed walking. I'm a really fast walker. Uh-huh. You wouldn't believe how
1: fast i Oh, walking. man. That's good, because I'm a slow runner. <laughs> uh, anyway, sorry to interrupt
3: you. So, so he's a good guy, apparently. is a great guy. He sends me to Timor because he's friends with Jose Ramos Horta. Oh, the, the Nobel dude. Peace Prize winner, yeah. who at the time is the Minister of Foreign Affairs. Right.
1: So tell people a little bit about East Timor. Because it was in the news, what, 15 years ago? It was a big Plus deal? Plus
3: 25 years <laughs> that ago. That long, yeah. I, I believe it was 1999 that the UN independence referendum was held. Right. I think it was ninety-nine. And it was a Portuguese colony previously? It was, yeah. Which makes for really interesting genetics. Uh, right. Because the rest of Indonesia is Dutch. Dutch. Yeah. East Timor is half of an island the size of Connecticut. And an enclave, a little scoop out of the other half. And they were Portuguese. So they have four official languages Portuguese, uh, Bahasa Indonesian, Tetun, which is the Timorese language, mm. and English. Mm. Four official languages. They hold a referendum in 99. The Indonesian had occupied them in the time of Kissinger. They sent some paramilitary so over to, to foment some some yeah. uh, unrest. Right. And they said, look, we're going to go in as a peacekeeping mission to occupy this country. All because they have the world's largest untapped oil and natural gas resources. Oh, no. Just, just offshore. Kiss of death right there. Kiss of death. So Indonesia takes over. The statistics are just the worst genocide, uh, statistically in the history of of what we know of mankind. Mm. One in three people are disappeared, tortured, raped. Right in a population of you know a million people yeah. at the time, it means everyone is traumatized. Everyone's fucked up. Yeah. So they vote overwhelmingly for independence, and it goes through. And all the Indonesians do in response is destroy the place when they take off they pulled copper wire out of the houses they pulled toilets out of the ground so the place is rubble for years and it's in turmoil so when I'm out in that area I was in I ended up in Tibet I went overland from Kathmandu to Tibet for a week I had a friend who knew the Dalai Lama so I was taking a home video for the Lama As I'm motoring through Tibet so he can see his home country, the palace, everything. But I don't speak great Chinese, and I didn't get any news. So while I'm in Tibet, the military opens fire on the police in East Timor. And I don't know it. I fly from Bali to Dili, which is two ways you can get there at the time. You fly from Kathmandu to Bali. Tibet back from Lhasa back to oh, Kathmandu, Lhasa. Okay. Kathmandu to Bali and then from Bali it's a 30 minute right flight to a substandard length runway in East Timor and when I walk out the front door of the airport it's to an IDP camp internally displaced people's camp massive tanks on the ground right and I'm like what the fuck is this? I thought I was coming out to check out opportunities for our students. And this is your first time there? This is my very first time to East Timor. I went with a Bali budget. I took $300 cash to East Timor. And it's not a Bali economy? Well, when the UN comes in, it becomes a UN economy. Uh, Because they're paying locals danger pay a day. It at the time had the same designation as Iraq Uh, from a danger perspective. So their daily danger pay was gonna be thirty five thousand dollars a year Hmm. on top of their salary and shit like that. So I think I'm gonna get a room for three bucks and a meal for a buck three times a day. I ended up going to the embassy.
1: Yeah.
3: Three days in. Yeah. I'm like, hey, I need some money. I hear you guys will give money if someone's broke and you need to get home. And I'm sure I was talking to a CIA agent. She goes, Well, we don't really like to do that. She goes, Is there anyone you can call? I go, if you let me use your phone, because I don't have money for a phone even. We slept under a boat. We slept in a mosque, an orphanage of a mosque. We conned the Catholics and bow cow out of a night in their orphanage. I mean, we were doing what we could, me and my buddy Tate Robinson, to do a 30-day assessment to see what we could do with the university. But we ran out of money so fast. And so this lady gives me her phone, I call my uncle Kenny. I remembered his number. At the time, it was 602-999-1115. It's like something out of a movie. (laughs) Like, Uncle, man, I'm fucked out here. (laughs) I need $1,000 yesterday. And he sent me the money. My only contact in the country is Jose, who, when the turmoil happens, they put Marie Alkatiri, who's then the prime minister, under house arrest because he was fomenting this battle between Mm -hmm. the cops and the military. The military ended up killing dozens of cops in the streets and Jose becomes the prime minister so I show up so I, you're at the embassy asking for money and your only local contact is the prime minister the only person I know in the country is the fucking prime minister <laughs> nice only I can't get a hold of him because I don't have a phone <laughs> and I can't walk into his office and I don't have a suit sure shirt, right right and so I'm sitting there just taking stock of the country. Finally, I get a meeting with Jose at the end of 30 days. We scrape And wait, by. how
1: do you know him? What's your connection? PVA. Oh. Had met him oh.
3: at a conference or something. Oh, so you had met Jose before? No. Professor Van Arsdale. Oh, they had. had met. Okay, right. Well, so you, go over there. I yeah. know the Minister of Foreign no, Affairs. a letter of introduction. Yes, of yeah. course. Yeah. And he did. Yeah. Right? And so we meet Jose. Lovely guy, big gruff you know, sounding guy. And I grew up in Southern California in a gang. And so when I get to a team where I'm like, holy shit, I was the first person to say, you guys have a gang problem, a big gang problem. And when I met with Jose, I said that. Well, how do you find my country? I go, it's great, but you got a youth gang problem, man. Oh, well, stay and do something about it. Really? Okay. So me and Tate go back to our hostel. We spend 24 hours putting together a million dollar proposal for six youth centers across Dilly. Give kids something to do. If their arms are tired, they can't throw rocks. If their mm-hmm. arms are tired, they can't wield a machete kind of thing. And
1: if they're on a team,
3: they don't need that gang identity as much. Yeah. It is a gang. Yeah. It's just and a it team. was for security. Yeah. You know, sure. they thought they were keeping their, their people safe. And yeah. to some extent, they were. Yeah. They're also cooking dirty meth. I know being on Australian television as a youth gang expert because I do how they're cooking meth. Mm. yeah, And, uh, and they go crazy. Kids that you knew by day would put this shit in their body and they'd attack you mm. at night. And a kid put a machete into my throat that I knew, you know, he wants to fight now or kill me because he's got this toxin mm. in his system. Mm. And so we were in, in East Timor for the better part of two years youth centers we built at the time the third world's only purposeful skate park built this massive skate park beautiful youth center that's still open to and you this got day. the funding from the un or we got a promise from jose and then he put us into his political system hey go to the minister of youth and sports we'll carve out some of his budget no, he didn't want to do that. No yeah. no one likes anything carved out of their right. budget, even if they're not using it, right? right? I was green, though. I never met a prime minister. I never worked <clears throat> at that level. I had his uh, his number two, Jose's number two, came up to me one time. I'd, a, I'd go from the job site to the prime minister's office or to his house. I'd have a backwards hat on. And he leans in, he goes, mind what you wear when you come here. I was like, these are the clothes I have. <laughs> mm. I've never done this before. I'm working with your kids, you know. Yeah. Um, and we did our best. We ended up getting funding from ConocoPhillips because we got shut down. Oh, next year we can allocate some funds, blah, blah, blah. Well, now we're still living on our own dime, and we're doing the work because there's buildings everywhere, but they need refurbished, Right. you know. Um, and so jose loaned me his his motorbike with a sidecar so i'd get around he had an old soviet replica of a harley world war ii harley Uh, and i'd put tate in the sidecar i'd put bags of cement on his lap and a shovel and a jug of water and we'd go cruising down main street the thing had three sirens i'd flip the siren on and the fighting would stop because the kids thought the prime minister was rolling down the street and they respected the prime minister And then they would stop and see me and just be confused enough that we could get through them. And they'd start fighting again. But, I mean, you're dodging rocks. So they're fighting. These are all Timorese kids. This isn't kids from another culture. No, this is Timorese kids. Just because it
1: had been so destabilized.
3: And And it it was so entrenched now in their systems to just be at conflict. Yeah. Man. That's rough. So, so how long were you there? Almost two years. Huh. And then what happened was really, it was, it was kind of traumatic to me. Although I shouldn't, I mean, compared to how traumatic it was for Jose, was much more for him. My grandpa came out for a month. I took him around Timor. I was dating the head of the World Bank in Timor at the time, Steffi Stallmeister. Steffi Stallmeister. Lovely German girl. <laughs> me and Gramps stayed with Steffi. She even went out of town, so we had her beautiful. Is this the same grandfather you went to Burning Man with? This is the same one. What's his name, Lul or Newell? His name's Newell. Newell. We call him Newt, or I call him Gramps. Right. He's got a little Newt on his arm, tattooed from the Korean conflict, which is where my big Newt comes from, his his tribute. Right. And so Gramps and I have been to, we've done 10,000 miles in Mexico. Yeah. We've been to Burning Man together. We've been to East Timor together. We spent months on Bali. Yeah, months. All right, but, don't let me derail you. So, so he comes out to visit. Gramps and I are at dinner at Jose's house. Lovely time. Some friends are there, and the next day Gramps flies out. I spend another month in the country, and I'm having one more dinner with Jose. The next day I fly out. Jose goes for his morning walk along the beach like he always does, and everyone knows. Great guy. Any team Marines could show up at his house, ask for a hundred bucks and give it to him or to camp. He had refugees camped on his land. Hmm. So he's very well known. His, his patterns are well known. Well, he comes mm. back walking up his driveway and where we said goodbye, not 24 hours ago, he gets shot three times from a group trying to take power. And I was devastated. Was he killed? No, yeah. He survived. But it just opened up this whole who am I to be working in this place? Uh, is, is it a welcome work? Yeah. Um, that could have been me standing there at, the same, at any given time. And it made me really look back at this country, at my own country and at my own family. Mm. My little brother had grown up in this time. He was graduating from high school. And my family wasn't doing well financially. My mom had gotten a little overstretched. And so I moved back. My little brother moved in with me. I put in for a couple of UN jobs that didn't go through. And so instead we started growing marijuana. This is in Michigan? Colorado. In Colorado. Right? And it was about maybe five years before cannabis became uh, okay. decriminalized and then, and then <clears throat> made legal. So allegedly you started growing marijuana. <laughs> I believe we're past the statute of limitations, so we can actually say that I did. Okay, yeah. yeah. We grew legendary marijuana, though. I mean, just I would. How did you know how to do that? I brought a hippie in. (laughs) hire a hippie.com and here's the thing i've been that hippie i've been you consultant you want a hippie to tell you if your weed's good or not yeah you don't want them to set up your grow room though Mm -hmm. looking back they're not real good at sterilization (laughs) he sets this this he built a tray i had a crawl space of a basement and he built this elevated tray that was full of dirt couldn't handle the weight and after the first round, we ended up going pots, and we learned a lot. Bought the metal. You went air. hydroponic? No dirt. Oh, I okay. was like dirt. Hydro scared me. Plus, we weren't really set up for water and water mm-hmm. reservoirs at our particular location. Right. But what we were set up to do is to cram thousands of plants into this little four-bedroom house. Right. We had a seedling room. How do you hide the uh, the electrical bill? You don't. You just four-bedroom house though with only two dudes in it is a pretty low load so that when you add lights right. it's like a normal family oh okay yeah but we'd get helicopter flyovers we were worried dude we had yeah. we lived in the town of morrison right near red rocks mm. right downtown so we'd have cops pulling people over for running the stop sign in our driveway multiple times Do you
1: have, uh filters for the the Exhaust? No.
3: So you had the a one smell blowing out the window. The one time a cop knocked on our door, we were cooking Indian food. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> nice. And he, and he knocked on the, your door because of the smell? He knocked on the door because we had two front doors. <clears throat> it's this old one-room cabin that got added on to its really cool, neat house. that's still there right next to the Morrison Inn Mexican mm-hmm. restaurant. And my brother is a late night owl. He got home at 4 a.m. It's cold, so he's got his hoodie on. He tried to get in one front door. It didn't open. He walked around the corner, went in the other front door. Someone calls the cops and says someone's trying to get into houses. Right. They'd seen him. So this big, big meathead cop knocks on the door, and thank God my girlfriend at the time was cooking Indian food. And we had two massive American Bulldogs. So the dogs are barking, and the Indian food is flowing and saturating in the air, and I was able to step outside the house and go, "Hey, what can I do for you?" Oh no, that was just my brother. Thanks for coming by, officer. i was damn glad to meet you. <laughs> yeah. Um, where the hell were we?
1: You came back. You're helping. You're growing weed to help your mom. And. You mentioned earlier when you were playing basketball, you were getting into a lot of fights, and I know
3: that somehow leads into the UFC or the uh, so right. At, yeah, so right at this time, I get back, and there's some overlap in there. Right, I played my last uh, semi-pro basketball season during my last year of grad school, which I completed as I came back from Timor, and I'm getting in these fights on the court in the locker room. And a buddy of mine, we're sitting in a lecture. He goes, just come to jiu with me sometime. Right. And I was like, man, I'm not a wrestler. I don't know anything about that. He goes, just come. I walked in and saw the scariest man I'd ever seen. Mike Nichols was a UFC pro at the time. Tattooed head to toe, 6'6". Massive guy. He's a light heavyweight. And so he walked at 240 and fought at 205. And he jumped up and gave me the biggest smile. Welcome. You know, and I just felt at home. Right. And then the first time I rolled on the map, I remember I got my ass kicked <clears throat> and then when I got to the car I couldn't lift my arms. Literally. I was like how the fuck am I going to drive home? Just from exhaustion from full body exertion. Right. The adrenaline. I mean cuz this is near you're, you're in a fight now, right? Right? Simulated safe fight. And I got out there and I couldn't move my arms. And I was so spent that the anger was quiet. Right. And that's, I think, the greatest gift that fighting ever gave for me is I can go lay it on the line on the map and I would leave and drive home and someone would cut me off and I'd go, hope you're okay. (laughs) Yeah. And wish them well instead of just wanting to fight, you know? Yeah. And then a girlfriend got me into yoga. So you're doing yoga and jujitsu at the same time? And I showed up at teacher training with a Rocky Balboa black eye. And it was me and 35 girls at Core Power, Cherry Creek. And they looked at me like, oh my God. And I said, I told you day one, I'm a cage fighter. That's what I do. I grow dope and I find the cage and I write and I paint. And that's my life. And they're like, huh. And in that moment, This incongruency hit me with the peacefulness of that martial art. Yoga is a martial art. Mm. A lot of people don't realize that. Mm. It was developed during the time of the British occupation in India. Kind of like capoeira. So you could train to fight but not be seen training to fight. Uh. Oh, no, sir. This religion. This our religion. uh Uh-uh. It's Swedish gymnastics partnered with Hindu mythology. And it was practiced specifically to be ready to fight the British. Interesting. Yogis would travel around. And teach people yoga, so they could be ready to fight. So, are there fighting techniques embedded
1: in in yoga,
3: or is it just bodily preparation? Just bodily preparation. So you're flexible really. and quick yeah, and it's balanced. It's not like and... the dance fight of capoeira, but just the sneakiness, right, of it. Huh. Yeah, just be ready for when this revolution comes. Is where it's where today's yoga physical asana practice they call it originates from we're talking about hatha yoga yeah hatha yoga yeah hatha yoga encompasses more practices too but just the asanas that yeah. you go do in a in a studio almost all those postures except for the sun salutation mm. the sun salutation comes from the pilgrim's pranam you know they'll do 108 right and then move one body length forward right. and do 108 and that's how they get from here to there and that's yeah. their pilgrimage right Or they'll do it around a temple all right they do the prostration. And that's the sun salutation. That's ancient. Mm. Everything else almost is sweet. Downward dog, that's a tough one to fight from. It'd be a different kind of fight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe you get a back kick out of it, maybe. You would want to fight yeah. when you're being attacked from downward dog. <laughs>
1: So you're so you're doing. I mean, such an interesting balance of UFC fighting, yoga, painting, writing, growing weed. I mean, there's a lot of interesting sort of uh,
3: configurations there. There, when you when I step back and look at it, you can see a natural transition. Of marijuana came into my life at a time when I was my family needed money. I was an insomniac. I was full of anger and I was in a lot of physical pain from fighting for eight hours a day. And you hadn't smoked weed before that? Never in my life till I grew it. First time I smoked weed. Why didn't you smoke
1: weed in high school? Everybody else I was was. an athlete. So you just didn't want to fuck with you. I dabbled
3: a little bit in alcohol. In fact, I set the Swedish emergency room blood alcohol record at the time. Congratulations. Thank you. I had my stomach pumped. You ever had your stomach pumped? No. It's fucking awful. Stick a tube up your nose and then down your throat to get whatever alcohol is still in your And you were system. in Sweden at the time? Swedish hospital in Inglewood. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah. All right. A place I worked at later as an EMT. Right. Yeah. All right. So but wait, we're
1: <laughs> I'm used to tangential, but you're really pushing it <laughs> uh, so we're we're talking about okay, we you were saying the weed came into your life when you really needed something to help you the first and calm marijuana down. I'd
3: ever smoked was I'd pulled some plants, we gave our first haul to our roommate's uncle, who was dying of cancer. We gave it all to him. It was white widow and purple something, and it helped him sleep, made him feel better. And as we're pulling it, you get that residue on your fingers, and then you roll it into a little ball of finger hash. We rolled a aluminum foil pipe, put a little kink in it. And the first weed I ever smoked was finger hash out of a foil pipe, hmm. of my own grow in the basement, and then I slept like a baby.
1: Hmm.
3: I was like, "Well, there's something to this," and ever since I've grown marijuana. I'm, it's one thing I've done most my entire life now. 15 years or mm. something like that. Because it's a real gift to people. Yeah. Starting with myself. And I find... So I'm in yoga teacher training. I'm growing dope. I'm painting and writing at home. And what ends up happening is the fight starts going out of me. Mm. You know? Yeah. I'm fighting with Colorado's number one pro all day long. How old are you at this point? 28. Right, twenty-eight to thirty-five. Growing up too, yeah. That's another yeah thing that's happening. Yeah, Yeah. but I'm still juicing a little bit at this time. Diana Ball is a hell of a drug to give to someone who already has a a very high testosterone level. Right. Um, What's that feel like? Could you feel it when you? Is it an injection or a pill? Or I did pill and injectable steroids. Yeah, it's. uh, I never did enough to really feel like. It's, you know, it's not like Popeye with a spinach, you know, you right. pour it down your throat and suddenly you're Superman, but it lets you work harder in the gym. Hmm. So instead of putting on 300 pounds on the bench, maybe push, push 325, and then it helps you recover faster hmm. afterwards. Right. And at the level I was fighting, there's no testing. So I'm in there going toe to toe with Mike, meat headed out, and then he's fighting in the UFC. Right. So when I leave the mat, I've just fought the toughest guy in Colorado. And I had less and less to prove to that egoistic animal in the basement of my gut, so to speak. Mm. And my strikes started getting softer and softer. So Mike would say, Hey, let's do little gloves, 40% sparring. That's 40% strength. Yeah, force. (laughs) That's interesting. So you modulate it that closely. If you can. Right. Yeah. And if you can't then you don't get to fight with the big guys. You need to go train more, right? right. And so I'm fighting Mike and I'm punching him and he goes, "Justin, I said 40%." Uh, I said, "Yeah, yeah." He goes he goes, "You're going 4%." Uh, <laughs> You're going 4%. Right. And the fight was just kind of it was just kind of leaking out of me. Right. And then in that point in teacher training, I thought, you know, I'm going to shift this more peaceful direction. Yoga is a martial art that stops where the other person's nose starts. You know? Right. And and I fell way down the yoga rabbit hole. Way down. I'd always been a student of religion, spirituality, of different cultures in the world. And it all came together. And then at the time, I was also doing stand-up. Open mics and stuff like that. So the first yoga class I teach is 35 scantily clad people in a room that I lock, you don't get to talk or throw jabs back from the audience, and I can play music, tell jokes, and teach an impeccable workout because I come from that tradition. And it went. It went big. You know, and I went from one class to 10 classes a week. I'm still growing marijuana, and I have all this time to get into different kinds of trouble but also to write and to start painting um, and yoga really took me. You know, I taught for a couple years
0: <clears throat>
3: at Core Power. <clears throat> I was still the number one attended teacher ever in Denver at Core Power. Our classes would average a hundred people. We'd burst the fire codes. And why? What was it that you were doing? I was authentic. Mm. I was stripping the dogma from the practice, and that's where Outlaw Yoga originated from. Mm. Is there any practice will develop this? Can I take your picture?
1: You may. Uh, I always forget to do this. I mean I could find one online, but I want to get the outlaw
3: yoga. Yeah. All right. Um but yoga, so I would walk into the yoga studio and you still 99% of studios in the in the country, you walk in, there's a sign that says silence. Respect the silence in the yoga studio. While well, I was meeting students and I was like, wow, like we have so much in common. It's a bummer we have to go be in that room and be quiet. Mm. And so I turned that on its head. I walk in the room and say, go meet your neighbor. Go meet someone you don't know. Sit down, look him in the eyes and talk about blank. And I give them a topic. And then if I had to, I would drag someone's ass off the mat, cross the room and sit him with someone and we'd spend 10 minutes doing community time. Right. Play some music. I go, don't worry the fucking workouts coming. Right. When the when the yoga happens, you're going to wish you were talking again. So go have fun and enjoy meeting another human who you're probably neighbors. You probably eat the same way, spend yeah. your money the same way. Yeah. And so that was the first thing that really just started to break the dogma of the yoga studio, mm-hmm. you know. And then we stripped away the sanskrit it was said at a time that speaking Sanskrit was a holy language. It raised the vibration of the person chanting it. Well, sure. Unless you don't understand the words the teacher is saying. Right. Then it lowers your vibration pretty fucking fast. Yeah. Because you feel dumb. Yeah. Urdhva Svanasana. Yeah. Say up, dog.
1: Yeah. It's always sounded fucking pretentious to me when, when, I, when they do that. It's like, okay, you're saying some hocus pocus secret language. I don't give a
3: shit. Yeah. Your psyche pushes back. Yeah. And there was so much in the practice that I found distinctly the Western mind and the beginner student mind pushed back from. Mm. That we were pushing people out of the practice. We were giving them a free week, which was great to get them into the practice. Mm-hmm. And then we were alienating them. Right. Making them feel alone and awkward in the studio. Making them feel dumb with the language we were speaking. And so I stripped all that away. All I try to do as a teacher is learn cool shit from wherever and whoever. Strip away what you don't need and condense what you do and then put it into a practice. And so what I was doing was leading a, a workout that no one had ever experienced before. Really hard. And then I would slip the philosophy in subconsciously. Underneath that, you know, I'd put it in in a way that was very palatable very mm. accessible for the student. And people would go out beaming. And then the other thing I do is I stand at the door and say, hey, Good job as you leave. High five, hug, slap you on the butt. You know, if it's a guy, I can tell he's a jock and coach used to slap him on the ass. I'd walk by. <laughs> can't get away with this shit now. No, I was going to say. <laughs> Adam Janiser, a buddy of mine, now owns seven yoga studios in the Midwest. I helped him open half of them. I walk up his first class with me and we're in Utkatasana. A squat. See, why can't you just say squat? Right. We're in a deep squat, or supposed to be. Well, Adam Janiser is in a very quarter squat, very mild squat. Right. And I walk up, and I slap him on the ass, and I say, "Sink your ass deeper, Janiser <laughs> <laughs> Yes, Coach. And he's used to football. Right. His eyes go wide. His ass sinks deep, and he's hooked. Yeah. And. All we do as teachers, right, is cut a facet on the opaque stone of human consciousness. We all say the same thing. Be nice to each other. Do unto each other as you do unto yourself. And we say it differently. So that you cut a facet here, I cut a facet there, and every other voice that says it in their own way, pretty soon it turns an opaque stone into a brilliant one. It lets Hmm. the light in, you know? And I think it was just, people in Denver were, were hungry for that kind of raw authenticity. And I think what it did for people was inspire them not to try and be like me, but to see, wow, here's a guy being himself. Right. I have a little more courage to go be myself now. Right. And ultimately, isn't that what it always comes down to is authenticity?
1: Yeah. You know, like in podcasting too. I I find like those, I want to hear a conversation between two real people when, which is one of the reasons I don't like having famous people on the podcast necessarily. If they're famous, they're on despite the fact that they're famous. They're locked into a persona already. I don't want to hear your canned answers and your your canned narratives and you know, like, uh, it's got to be organic, you know? Like, I didn't know we were going to be talking about this. I'm sure, you know, I know you've got the high points of your life or the you know, narrative threads, but to me authenticity comes
3: out in a lack of preparedness mm-hmm. you know at least conversational see that's why i thought we were going to get stoned and do the podcast last night
1: <laughs> <laughs> well we would have except people were cooking food and playing music it'd and be very to
3: shut down the whole part very party. different
1: yeah, recording. yeah i don't want to do that <laughs> but yeah yeah that you know i've had a weird relationship i've i've studied yoga if that's the word practiced yoga whatever in probably 15 different cities around the world that I've lived in you know and I never stayed anywhere long enough to really pursue it I'd be off somewhere else and and I'm not very disciplined about doing things regularly and um but I've always rebelled against this thing you're talking about I've led two I I led a full fucking mutiny in a yoga class Against the teacher because he was such a douchebag, mm. such an arrogant fucking douchebag. This was in, in India and he was like shaming people. You right. know, I didn't tell you to do I, I You wait until I tell you and just like, oh, dude, what the fuck is wrong yeah. with you? Like, I'm here to relax
3: and feel good. And, you know, very militaristic oh, and so authoritarian <laughs> public school yeah. model yeah. of yeah. yoga teaching ego.
1: All this ego.
3: And then they used to also practice while they taught. Mm. So do like me. And they'd bend and do all the postures. And it's they'd like say, "Well, oh, can you do can't that. do it, right? Yeah. I had this teacher named Bill Stow back in high school. He's still one of my best friends to this day. He was my freshman and my senior English teacher. Got me into reading, writing. And he had this way about him as a teacher that he could let control go and then get it back. Mm. Brilliant at circling back to a mm. topic. He had this thing, if if uh, you would get up in the front of the class and sing a song from start to finish, you get an A for the semester. <laughs> and if not, then shut the fuck up. Really? <laughs> you know? Huh. One person ever did it in his 40-year teaching tenure, right? Huh. Um, but I, I remember, I actually went, I said, hey, Stout, can we sit down? I want to pick your brain about teaching. Because I remembered this, this methodless method. Hmm. Where you could let people be in control. Because people love to learn. They don't like to be taught. Mm, Overtly point. teaching right. it someone is icky. Right, I call it. I keep things simple. Yeah. Icky, not icky. Is this touch icky or not icky? I right. teach our trainees. Our right. teacher trainees. Well, if it's icky, change something. Mm. Same with those, those outdated, public school-driven teaching models. Which is, I talk you shut up and listen right right so how do we give control back but feel okay about that and i think 99 percent of most teachers out there they're just they're probably poorly equipped at being able to be okay with letting some of the control go right so instead they do what i'm doing now which is they start talking and they don't stop yeah well that's <laughs> what you're here for that's what we're paying you for man
1: <laughs> yeah i i remember a quote uh i read a long time ago which was uh, that a good teacher is not concerned with transmitting knowledge a good teacher creates an environment in which learning can occur can occur yeah it's just like you just create a an atmosphere where learning is cool and encouraged and you know the
3: tools are available but you, students have to pick them up you create a space yeah for that to happen and for yeah. exploration to right. happen and which which is going to lead to mistakes and those mistakes can lead to shame or they can lead to empowerment. Yeah. And it's a razor sharp line and not many people can really walk it. Mm. Yeah. And I think it's one of the things we, we bring to the table at Outlaw Yoga is give you space to make a connection, empower you to be bold, and then we implore you. that We just practiced on the mat, but if yoga stops here, man, you're fucked. Mm. You got to take your yoga out because I don't care how you can do warrior two. I care. Are you more patient with your mom Mm. on the phone? Right. You know, are you a bigger, better human because of this practice we did here? Right. We can make six packs and, and nice butts in a number of ways, but yoga can be such an effective delivery system for a set of values, simple ones like honesty and discipline, hard working, motivation from within, patience, and understanding and acceptance yeah. can all flow from this practice. And if it doesn't, then you're delivering the practice in a suboptimal. Right, way, you right.
1: Know? And, you know, I, I think a lot about how in the West we have an oppositional relationship with our bodies. Right. You got no pain, no gain. You got a you gotta fight through it you gotta you know joe rogan likes to talk about taming his inner bitch and you know i think like i don't have an inner bitch like i have an inner i don't know an inner beautiful wonderful you know i'm trying to picture joe rogan's inner bitch right now it's it's a (laughs) scary bitch. (laughs) scary but but i mean this this whole like you know this is one of the things that joe and i disagree about every time we talk probably is like He's got this vision of the world as being this very dangerous, brutal place, and you've got to like, you got to be strong, and you've got to fight it, and you've got to tame it, and you got to. De- and I see that as a very Western colonial mm-hmm. kind of domination, mm-hmm. you know, Old Testament approach to life. Mm-hmm. I'm much more Aikido, like much more, and and yoga. I think as it's taught the way you're describing it which is you're not here to beat your body into submission. You're here to release your body and be kind to your body. And then that emanates out into the rest of your life where you're kinder to your mother and you're more patient mm-hmm. with you know the mm-hmm. kids and whatever because you're developing this sort of congruent relationship with your life rather than an oppositional relationship sure. with your life. But it seems interesting to me like your transition from... from Being angry, you know, the super angry young man getting into fights on the basketball court, then sort of turning and like making that professional and channeling that in the cage fighting to what you're describing in yoga is like a real 180 degree pivot within yourself.
3: And it certainly felt like that at the time. And it's interesting to bring up those two philosophies about the world around us, because I would agree with both of you that the world is a dangerous place that you need to be prepared for. It's also a lovely existence full of beauty that you're better off flowing yeah. with, right? right. And, and yoga is meant to prepare you and to stress test you in a way that it's almost like softening the mind with the difficult effort so that then you're ready to accept some softer ideas. One of the blessings I had as a teacher is I had been a fighter. I could walk in and feel no qualms in my being about being a big guy, talking about peace and love, painted toenails, and just being nice to everybody because I'd been there and done that. And I think if you don't ever experience that, then you have this little notion that you're always, you're unproven Mm. maybe. But the other thing that I think I drop in there is that sometimes our relationship to our ego is what we're really talking about right, is a, is an one of opposition. We think that that ego is there as our enemy. Mm. But when the ego is there as an ally, as a, as a beloved child in the room who, when it's crying, you know, it's just trying to get your attention half Mm. the time. When you can, when you can come to that place, then I think there's more to learn from, from that relationship or potentially can be why is it that you're crying right now, mini me? right. you know, what is it that you're threatened by right. right now? interesting. See that's why i I really respect Aikido
1: as a, you know, and it's kind of like what you were saying all teachers are teaching the same thing, right? I feel like all martial arts are essentially teaching the same thing. But I love the way Aikido is like you okay, you need this space, whatever your ego, the, the person you're interacting with, they need to declare themselves as a tough guy. Right. So rather than saying, you're not that tough, you say, man, you're a tough dude. You give them that. Right. So in, in physically, I guess it's the sword coming down and you don't have a sword. So you don't try to block the sword. You step out of the way of the sword and then you, you know, you that movement. Force. Right. And I find that that is so applicable to all interaction, all interaction with other people. When you learn to recognize like, oh, you're, I see what you need. You need that
3: line right there. I'll just
1: step out of the way and let you have it. Let's channel this. Block it. Let's yeah. not
3: resist this or fight against it. Let's channel it. Wait, let's, you're here now. It'd be nice as a human if you could get from A to B. Let's close that winnable gap right. by helping the flow. And I'm not helping you by blocking that flow. Or fighting it. Exactly.
1: So I get out of the way and encourage you
3: down that path rather than trying to redirect you. And now it's an unexpected response to the other person's ego. Right. They're used to resistance. They're used to fighting. When you say, hey, man, I don't want any trouble. There's a disconnect in that mind. And in that gap, you can place patience forgiveness acceptance yeah that's that non-reactive moment right where the satori the small enlightenment that the buddhists would call right there's this flash of no thinking because it's an unusual response to a learned behavior Mm. and you expect a typical response and now this happens and in that moment uh, many enlightenment happens yeah and maybe a change yeah and if you do enough of them and maybe a lot of change
1: yeah Justin, I, I could talk with you all fucking day, but it's occurring to me that we got to get out of the other Justin's house. We and, both have vans and clean down and, the road. Yeah, we got places to go, but I hope we can continue this conversation. Let's continue this because I feel like we've barely scratched begun. the surface. Talk about your books, and do you have a website or something like? Where can people learn about you? You know, you for or? an
3: outlaw, I'm shockingly easy to find right. online. You can look up outlaw yoga, outlaw yogi on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, um, Justin It's spelled just the way it sounds. Um, <laughs> it was coming. It was coming. Uh, You know, you mentioned dabbling in yoga in different cities, so I would be remiss if I didn't uh, mention our online Outlaw Yoga offering. Oh. Outlawyogaclub.com. Right. Um, go to outlawyogaclub.com it's nine bucks a month for I think some of the best yoga that's out there five minute practices to hour and a half practices to accommodate any lifestyle I teach practices I want to meet you where you're at Right. If you're in an office, you don't want to get sweaty. You can't take 90 minutes at lunch to drive to a studio, right. do 60 minutes, drive back. Here's a 10-minute practice you can do at your desk. You'll look funny to your colleagues, but you'll feel better afterwards. Ah, oh, cool. And I put a lot of the same tools on YouTube. So I, I make our yoga tool-based. If it's not going to serve you immediately, then I, I put it in the back seat. So it's, it's embedded. The philosophy, the physicality. You know, do this, listeners, do this one yoga. Replace the words, I don't know, with I wonder Hmm. for the next 48 hours. Hmm. Anytime you're tempted to say, I don't know, because I don't know is an answer. Right. And it's a permanent state. And it comes with a period and it stops inquiry. Yeah. Hey, what are you going to do today? I don't know. What are you going to do today? I wonder. It comes with an ellipsis, dot, dot, dot at the end of it, and it opens possibility. Uh, and that's kind of one of the little philosophical tools that i'll drop into our practice right so we can get stronger physically and mentally nice Um, anya and i've been talking about you know
1: we're going to be traveling for the next year and there are downsides to that and one of them is both of us are like fuck i want to get into a regular yoga practice i'm especially me i'm getting stiff and old and you know uh so yeah, something to like sort of keep some flexibility and uh, not get as old as quickly.
3: When you're in the driver's seat for a long time, yeah, and you get out of too. it, yeah. and you're in the van, so maybe you don't have a shower. Yeah, so a lot of a lot of things that go against you staying in good shape on the yeah. road. I think so I, like I will sign up for
1: that. That's good. And and uh, your books, you gave me. Two books. I haven't really looked at them. One's a novel and one's a book about yoga. The
3: yoga book is called The Outlaw Protocol. How to live as an outlaw without becoming a criminal.
1: Do you know Bob Dylan's line about outlaw? No. It's in one of his songs. He says, I forget which song it is, but he says, if you're going to be an outlaw, you have to be honest. Yeah, you do. You have to walk a tighter line.
3: Yeah. If you're going to walk outside the Because you don't the have line. the
1: support of normalcy. It takes more discipline. So you better keep your shit real clean. I think exactly. about that with relationships. If you're in any kind of unconventional relationship structure, you got to like really have your shit cleared up mm-hmm. or it gets messy real fast. Yeah. Right? Because yep. everyone knows how a normal relationship works or doesn't. <laughs> but you're doing this. Like, right? You're doing what? Right. You got... Four people involved in this thing, everybody
3: if, better keep If you're shit setting going. the line, you gotta walk the line. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so that's what that book is about. It's half story book, stories from my past, Style's in there, Jose's in there. Oh really? We, so it's sort of a memoir. It's sort of a memoir. And then it's interspersed with uh, journal sections. So you can take the lesson I learned and how do we apply that, does this apply to your life? And it leaves you room to engage. The book itself, so it's half workbook, half storybook. Oh, interesting! And it's available on audiobook, uh, wherever audiobooks are sold. Did you read it? I did. Good. My little brother engineered it. Nice. We we did it in his. We homemade an audio booth in his apartment in Koreatown, Los Angeles. Nice. Yeah. And so there's an audiobook. I don't know if there's a Kindle book for that. And there's a paperback you can find at outlawyoga.com backslash shop. That's outlawyoga.com backslash shop. Yeah. (laughs) And then Living in Koreatown inspired The Adventures of Larry Wampler, The Case of the Koreatown Car Jumper. Mm Mm-hmm. The novel that's out, it's book seven in a 12-book series. Four written, I'm releasing them Star Wars style, so book seven came out first, Koreatown. <laughs> Star yeah. Wars style. When, when, uh-huh. when a person is throwing themselves in front of the cars and shaking them down for cash bribes in Koreatown, right, in the, in the plot, okay. he accidentally, unknowingly throws himself in front of the mob boss's wife one week oh, and boy. the mob boss's daughter the next. So, of course, the mob boss calls in Larry Wampler to crack the case quietly. Right. Two hilarious consequences. Of course. That's the novel. How the fuck do you find time to do all this shit? You know, um, my mind races. That's why I smoke a lot of weed at night, to shut it down. Um, but I I try to crank. You know, I, I what I do creatively, my flow is... I get a lot of stuff set up at once, so that knowing my mind's tendency to be distracted, I can distract it with something that's productive. Right. And so I got into painting because I was avoiding writing. Right. And if you avoid it enough, you get good at painting. Right? right? And <laughs> so I funny. picked the guitar back up to right. avoid painting. Right. You know, and if I can just keep a canvas there and a file or 10 open on the laptop and a guitar hanging there, or a building project, mm. then I can move from one to the next and I can chip away at projects and be distracted and I not right. fight the flow. Right. Um, but no, I do, I do have more projects maybe than I have time in life to, to finish. But four of these Wamplers are done. Book one, two, and three are done. Uh, book seven is out. And I'm going to finish book eight tonight. Tonight? Tonight. I've 10 pages Damn. left to write in The Adventures of Calvin Wampler. Oh, The Case of the Coconut Killer. Is Calvin the son of Calvin is the half brother. Oh, half brother of Larry Wampler. Next time we'll talk about my two half sisters. That'll be a funny conversation. Right. And your bulldogs, there was a lot of My friends mentioned oh, the dogs. Out thank the you for bringing Look up Gonzo bulldog on
1: Instagram. You Gonzo bulldog. Apparently a, Gonzo bulldog is famous. He's famous to, in, know,
3: some quarters, yeah, in, in some quarters. In certain whitefish Montana yeah Littleton, Colorado Gonzo Portland is Portland Oregon yeah loves Gonzo Bulldog Gonzo
1: Bulldog on Instagram all right cool uh, thank you
3: dude and this I want to talk next time we talk I want to remember to talk more about butts and urethras and eventually oh. sex we should talk about sex yeah we could talk That'll about be a sex. lot of fun I'm kind of tired of talking about
1: it. <laughs> it's funny I mean it's you know that line like you know make find something you love and make it your work <laughs> that's your work it's like well that doesn't always work out you know it's like you could drain the fun out of it It invites a drudgery yeah too, yeah. yeah I mean I don't know I, I I'm um, kidding yeah. I'm not tired yeah. of. I'm my heart bleeds of for you brother <laughs> yeah <laughs> I'll never get tired of talking about sex. But but there there are moments where I'm like, How did I become a you know, world renowned expert in gorilla
3: testicles? You know, like how the fuck did that happen? I'll never forget two things from your book. The that the gorilla has the smallest penis per uh, pound yeah. of all primates and that tribe you mentioned that on the night of marriage every male in the in the village has sex with the female so that no one knows the origination of the father so everyone you know, part of like paternity yeah. yeah
1: yeah where the yeah different I mean you're conflating two different things There, there is a tribe where the night of the marriage the men from the village all have sex with the, the woman um, and interestingly the older woman will tell her all about how you never you know don't get jealous and, you know, sex is, isn't the same as love. And there's this whole sort of um, training around uh, understanding how to operate in that. But then the other thing you're talking about is partable paternity, which happens in lots of different tribes in the Amazon and elsewhere in the world too, um, where they, they believe that the fetus is composed of accumulated semen. And so the woman wants to have like the kid that's a good hunter and funny and and wants as much of it as possible so she'll fuck the funny dude and the good hunter dude and the strong dude and the you know the the kind dude she wants to get this energy from all these different men into her her child and then all those guys will consider themselves fathers because they all contributed there's even in one tribe I remember coming across this paper that and it's, it's a funny thing when you research this sort of stuff, because the anthropologists are just science. They're just they're not laughing. The male they're inserts the penis fun. an
3: average yeah. of 73 times. Right. Uh, yeah, it's all <laughs> stats.
1: But uh, there was one paper where, where the anthropologist said, you know, they even in this tribe, there's a word for the, the one who inserts it. The, the semen and then there's the one who mixes it around and the one who you know pulls
3: it out <laughs> the icing like, on top we call it
1: sloppy seconds
3: yeah, yeah. the only <laughs> sex training I had was from Mrs Schneider in seventh grade and she said to use a condom and it was so fucking uncomfortable I had no idea what to do the first time I masturbated I used conditioner Ooh. don't if you take nothing from this yeah. don't use conditioner as a lubricant that's the takeaway masturbating mayonnaise stings mayonnaise like. is where it's at mayonnaise
1: Yeah, this first time, I don't know if I've told this story and probably shouldn't, but uh, yeah, I couldn't figure out how to masturbate because I saw all these guys making the movement, but I was circumcised and just doing that hurt, you know, and it didn't occur to me to use lube. And then one day I was reading a national lampoon and there was a story about a guy using mayonnaise and I was like, man, what, what? (laughs) It changed change my
3: life lesson two do not get your sexual lessons from national lamp oh no that was a
1: good one do you still use mayonnaise Fucking egg salad sandwich gives so, me a boner every man, time jesus christ <laughs> just kidding we're gonna head. what a
3: great place no oh, you gotta keep that what a great place to say goodbye all right part goodbye one.
1: everybody now that you've heard more than you wanted to you have got more than you bargained for uh Justin, whatever the fuck your last name is, thank you, man. Kaloszewski.
3: Kaloszewski.
1: I ah, got it. All right,
3: cool. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right. A thanks for fun. listening, folks. Yeah. Thanks. Especially if you made it to the end. Yeah. <laughs> if, you, if, you, if you put up with all if that, you shit. made it this far. We started far. with hemorrhoids and we ended with jerking if off. If you made thanks. it this far, here's yeah. a free month code to the Outlaw Yoga Club. Put in the code Outlaw Month at checkout. We'll know how many people made it to the oh, end because wow. I'll get three uses wow. of the code. Nice. OutlawMONTH Outlaw Month is a free month. At outlawyogaclub.com. Outlaw Month. All Outlaw right. Month. Thanks Enjoy. for listening, you Enjoy. Thank you.